Stories told of a man who went on vacation to the Holy Land with his wife and mother, and while they were in Israel, the mother-in-law passed away. Uh, had a heart attack. It was totally unexpected. Passed away. The couple went to a local undertaker, and the undertaker explained that they could either ship the body home, which cost five thousand dollars, maybe even more, or they could pay to have her buried there in the Holy Land for one hundred fifty bucks. The man said, "Well, we'll ship her home." And the undertaker was a little bit surprised and said, "Are you sure? That's an awfully big expense. We can have a very nice burial for here, for her here for one hundred and fifty bucks." The man said, "Look." 2,000 years ago, they buried a guy here, and three days later, he came back to life. I can't take that chance. Uh, so, uh, that's not very nice. I hope my mother-in-law is not watching today. Um, but uh, I love Easter. Uh, I love uh, celebrating the resurrection. I told the first service, I've told you guys this many, many times. I was baptized uh, on Easter Sunday, 1981, and I love this time of year. I'm so glad you're with us here today. We're kicking off a brand new sermon series today called Redeemed, and over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at how we are made new in Christ because He redeemed us. We are made new in Christ. And then next week, we're going to talk about how we can get past our past, even though we're made new. uh, A lot of us have done things in the past we're not all that thrilled about. We're not all that excited about. We've made some mistakes. So next week, we're going to talk about how we can get past our past. And then after that, we're going to talk about how we can become a part of a family and then how we can put our faith into action. So I hope that you can join us uh, for the next several weeks uh, as we go down this road of redemption as we talk about what it means to be redeemed. One of the best stories I think that I've heard about uh, redemption is about a, uh, a young boy named Tom and his father. They built a small toy boat together, and it took quite a long time for them to, to build this toy boat. And uh, when it was finished, it was beautiful. Tom could hardly wait to put the boat in, in the water. And it was a, a wonderful, sunny spring day took the toy boat down to the water with his dad, attached it to a string, placed the boat carefully in the water, and the boat looked almost real as they're watching it sail over the waves of the river. Suddenly, a strong current caught the boat, and Tom tried to pull it back to shore, but but as he was pulling it back in, the string broke, and the little boy raced downstream trying to save the boat. Uh, and uh, he was just running alongside the shore as fast as he could, but finally the boat slipped out of sight. They spent the rest of the afternoon looking for the boat, but they couldn't, couldn't find it, and so finally at dark they just gave up and they went home. A few days later, Tom was on his way home from school, and he spotted a boat just like his in a second, second-hand store window. When he got closer, he could tell, sure enough, it was, it was his boat. He knew. He had made it. He knew it. And he hurried into the store manager. He said, sir, that's my boat in your window. I made it. That's my boat. And the, the man that managed it said, I'm sorry. Someone else brought the boat in this morning. If you want it, you're going to have to buy it. And so Tom ran home, and he gathered all of his money together. He took all the money that he had. He went back to the store, and um, he purchased the little boat back. As he was walking out of the store, Tom hugged his boat and said, now you're twice mine. First I made you, and now I've bought you. And that's the message of Easter. God made us, 
And he had to buy us back because, and I'll explain that a little bit later why he had to do that. But the message of Easter is that Jesus came, and, and we celebrate Christmas, and that's wonderful. He came as a baby, but he came for the purpose of redeeming us or buying us back. That's what redemption is all about. Redemption literally means to buy something back. It belonged to you, and for some unknown reason, you've lost it, and now you have to buy it back. You have to redeem it. The little boy, he owned the boat, he lost the boat, and then he had to go back in and redeem it. This is what pawn shops do all the time. People come in, they pawn a watch, they pawn a computer, they, they pawn a guitar or something like that. We picked up some nice guitars in pawn shop, and, and so they pawn these things, and then over time, they've got a limited amount of time, they buy it back, and they have to buy it back with interest, and they redeem that instrument or that TV or whatever it is that they had pawned and and so that's what that that's what it's all about the person owned the item they pawned it and then they had to go back in and buy it back or they had to redeem it this is this is what God did for us God made you you were made in his image you literally belonged to God. Now, if you don't understand that truth, you might have trouble seeing worth in your own life. You might have trouble seeing worth in who you are. But when you understand that God made you and he made you in his image, that changes everything. That he loved us so much that we were worth so much that he couldn't stand the thought of us not being his. And so he sent his son to the earth to die on the cross for our sins, to buy us back, to redeem us. And so we were created in God's image. God made us, he owned us, and we were his treasured possession. But somewhere along the way, something went wrong. We fell out of a relationship with God somewhere along the way. How did God who made us, how did he lose us? What went wrong? Well, in, in essence, sin went wrong. As someone put it once before, God formed us, right? But sin deformed us, and so God sent Jesus to transform us. Sin robbed us of our relationship with God, but God sent his son down to buy us back. It was his blood shed on Calvary that paid for our sins. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Our sin condemned us to an eternity separate from God. And it was God wanting us back so strongly. He loved us so much that he was willing to pay whatever price he needed to pay to buy us back, to redeem us. And that was recognized clear back in the Old Testament. You can read all through the Old Testament, and all of the Old Testament is pointing to the fact that God one day would send a redeemer. This is what Job says in chapter 19, verse 25. I know that my redeemer lives. In other words, there's coming someone who's going to buy us back, who's going to redeem us, and at last, he will stand upon the earth. And that's what God did when he sent Jesus. That he came as a redeemer to buy us back. And God's plan all along. It wasn't like God created us and then we goofed up and God said, oops, I didn't see that coming. He knew that we were going to mess up. And so he had the plan in motion for Jesus to be our redeemer. And the Old Testament is pointing us to that truth when Jesus would come and die for our sins. And that's what happened at Calvary. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, but when the right time came, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, or in other words, to redeem us, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And and that's more than just Father. I, I, I think that most translations would say this is a very endearing term. It's like we would know our Father so well. It's like we would call our Father Daddy. You know, that, that's what it is. It's not just this off, you know, biological father or even just spiritual father. It's this close relationship that we have with God. Abba, Father, you, you, I love you so much. I have this close personal relationship with you. Now, because of that, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We are heirs to God. In other words, we get the benefits of what Jesus did for us. Because he died on the cross, we are considered a part of the family of God. And as a part of the family, we receive the inheritance that Jesus earned for us. We don't deserve it, but he earned it for us. And so not only do we get credit for looking like we've got our act together when God looks at us, we, we get credit for living the life that Jesus did. Even though on our very best day, on our very best day, we don't even come close to Jesus in how we act and how we look. Even though that's our goal, but on our best day, we don't even come close. But that's how God sees us when he looks at us. If we are in Christ, it's as if we've not done anything wrong, it's as if we're perfect. There's a story told about Abraham Lincoln who was, uh, he went to the slave block one day and he noticed a young girl who was up for auction and he was moved with compassion and he purchased her freedom. And when Lincoln told the disbelieving girl what he had done, she asked, well, what, what does that mean? And Lincoln said, it means you're free. And the little girl said, does that mean I can say whatever I want to say? And Lincoln said, yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean I can be whatever I want to be? And Lincoln said, yeah, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? Lincoln said, yeah, you can go wherever you want to go. And with tears streaming down her face, the little girl responded, then I want to go with you. Isn't, shouldn't that be our response to what God has done for us. He has bought our freedom. He has purchased us from the chains of slavery. And our response should be, I want to go with you, God. I want to be with you. Every single one of us were slaves to sin. But Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is, it's finished. To telestai, that's the Greek word there. It literally means it's, it's been paid for. Nothing else needs to be done. I've paid for it. The price has been paid. It is finished. I have paid for your sin so that you could be redeemed. But here's the kicker. If Jesus would have just stayed dead, he would have just been another teacher. He would have just been another prophet. Or as Spencer pointed out to us a couple of weeks ago in the apologetics sermons, 
he would have been a liar or a lunatic. But when he rose from the grave, that proved to us that he's the Lord. And he validated our redemption. He bought us back and he proved that he was God. And because of this incredible gift, we have new life. Or at least we have the opportunity for new life if we choose to accept the gift of eternal life that he's given to us. But here's the deal. Some of us choose to stay chained to our sin. Some of us choose to stay dead. Some of us choose to stay in the grave. Satan wants to keep you there. Satan wants you to stay in the tomb. As we sang just a moment ago, (laughs) we need to run out of that grave, right? Because Jesus ran out of the grave. Well, I don't know if he ran or not, but he came out pretty enthusiastically, I'm pretty sure. He may have run, doesn't say that, I don't know. All we know is he came out. And because he came out, we, we ought to willingly run out of the grave that we're in, in our sin, When we give our lives to Christ, the Bible says we are made new. We are born again. All of that old part, all of that junk that we've done in the past, it's gone. We start a new life where first of all, and this is if you're taking notes, this is the first point in our notes today. We don't have to live in fear. I love that song, Because He Lives. I told the first service, page 122 in our hymnals back at church, Eastside Christian Church uh, back in Brazil. Uh, Because He Lives, page 122, it was Stacy's dad's favorite song. It was my dad's favorite song. We sang it at Easter every year. We sang it throughout the year all the time. Because He Lives, all fear is gone. We don't have to be afraid of anything. Listen to Matthew 28, 1 through 8. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. That's cool. (laughs) It's like, can you imagine? Like, it just kind of like, okay, it's the resurrection, it's this big deal, and I'm just going to sit on a stone and kind of chill. I don't know why that just hit me, but that's kind of cool. Okay, so he's sitting on a stone. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and then they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen, come see where his body was lying and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. And the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. We live in a world where it's very easy for us to find ourselves very much like those women on that particular day. Any given Sunday, people all over the world, we even come to church, and sometimes we expect to find a lifeless Jesus. All right, we just come here and we think that, all right, you know, it's a nice idea, but do I really believe it? Do I really believe that Jesus is alive or it's just something that I should probably do? I'm, you know, I just want to make sure, and, and just in case it is real, I just want to kind of make sure. But do we really come to church expecting that we are serving a risen, living Savior? Many people are filled with anxiety. Many people are filled with fear. 
fearful that their lives will never change. Fearful that their circumstances won't change. That their marriage cannot be rescued. That their diagnosis is a foregone conclusion and God can't do anything about it. Far too many of us live our lives dominated by fear and anxiety. And perhaps the first thing you need to hear today, the first message of, of all that we've talked about today is, 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 is this. Just like the women on that particular day and the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Maybe that's what you need to take with you today. Maybe God's saying to you, don't, don't be afraid, right? Easter confronts our fears. The empty tomb reveals the mighty power of God. Not just for the people then, right? Not just for Jesus then, but for all of us. He's alive. If the story is really true and Jesus was alive, he came back to life then, don't you think he's still alive today? And he says, don't be afraid. I got this. You don't have to fear. Author and speaker Beth Moore says it so well. The power of the resurrection means that nothing but the tomb is meant to be empty. I love that. In other words, the tomb is empty, so you don't have, a, have to live a life that is empty. You can be full. Jesus said this in John 10, 10, that these purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. But what happens is we live in a life so filled with fear and so filled with anxiety that Satan is robbing us of the full life that Jesus came to give us. And part of having a rich and satisfying life is possessing joy even in the midst of difficult times. Easter's a source of great joy for us as Christians. At least it should be. We are filled with joy because the resurrection power is able to make everything new, and that includes you. The, the empty tomb means that your past can be made new. The empty tomb means that your hope for the future can be made new. The empty tomb means that your life, your very life, can be made new. Anybody here today would, would like a new life? That's what Easter offers. That's what the resurrection offers. That's what redemption offers. When Jesus redeemed us, that's what he said you can have. And joy is a byproduct of the hope that we have in Jesus to be able to do what he said he was going to do. That if Jesus indeed has risen from the grave, then through our belief in him, there's nothing that's impossible for us either. The Bible says the same power that rose Jesus from the the grave lives where? In us. It lives in us. We have that same power in us. D.L. Moody tells the story of a bright young girl, 15 years old. Suddenly she's cast on a bed of suffering. She's completely paralyzed on one side and, and she's nearly blind. And the family doctor, she heard the family doctor say to her parents as they stood by the bedside, I'm sorry to tell you that she has seen her best days. Her best days are behind her. Poor child. Suddenly the little girl spoke up and said, No, doctor. My best days are yet to come when I shall see the king in his beauty. This is our hope, guys. 
So when we look at the world today and, and, and we're trying to put our hope in the world and we're trying to put our hope in accomplishments and, and try to get the best that we can get out of this life and we think that we can have this incredible, and we can't have this incredible life in, in Christ here, but we put all of our hope and we put all of our assurance and, and all of our worth in all of these things. And Jesus is saying the best is yet to come, Right? No matter where you find yourself today, this is our hope. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he gives us the hope that someday we're going to rise from our troubles. Even if we don't see all of these amazing things in this life, one of these days we're going to rise from all of these troubles, and we're going to go to heaven and see King Jesus, who's alive and well, face to face. We're going to see the very one who went to the cross for us and came back to life. The Bible says that our light, he, the Bible calls them light and momentary troubles. Now, I know they don't seem light to us at the time. They seem difficult at the time, don't they? But the Bible calls them light and momentary troubles. They're not even worthy of being compared with what we're going to experience when we see Jesus face to face. And that gives us hope and that gives us joy. That gives us the ability to come out of our graves and rise above all of the junk of this world. Because there's a lot of it in this world, right? And no matter where you find yourself today, the empty tomb pushes back against your fears and reminds us the best is yet to come. Secondly, because we are redeemed by the resurrection, we respond in faith. Now, faith is a word that we use a lot in church. We have faith in all kinds of things, but the kind of faith the Bible speaks to is a deep trust in something or a deep trust in someone that can't necessarily explicitly be proven. If we could prove everything, we wouldn't need faith, right? If everything was proven, it wouldn't be necessary for us to have faith. But once the tomb was found empty, even though it's unexplainable, even though there's all kinds of evidence to point to the fact that it is certainly something that, that could have happened. The women had a choice to make, as did the disciples. Would they have faith in the fact that Jesus was alive? Or would they just live their lives in this gloomy darkness that they were probably in at that particular time? Because remember, before Friday happened, they put all of their hope, they put all their trust in the fact that Jesus was going to overturn the Roman government and going to establish his kingdom and everything was going to be great and we're going to have these prominent positions. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. Hunky-dory, that's not in the Bible. I made that up. Uh, and, and it's just going to be all this, this wonderful stuff. And then he's dead. Can you imagine that? All their hopes, gone. The gloominess, the darkness. And these women and these disciples had to make up their minds. Are they going to believe it? Do they believe it? That Jesus is indeed alive? And that's the same question that people have been dealing with for the past couple thousand years. Do we trust the resurrection? Do we trust the power of the resurrection? Do we believe in the power of God? Do we believe and trust that Jesus can make us new? 
Paul addresses this question in the early church in Romans 10, chapter 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. See, that's what you got to believe. That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the way to experience the power of God that can make us new, it's a pretty simple process, I think. Right? You put your trust in God, you confess him with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That's what Paul says to do. And then third, when we read the book of Acts, we go all through. Acts is a history of the church. Every conversion that we see in the book of Acts, when someone confessed that he was Lord and they believed in their heart that he was who he said he was, every conversion that took place, a person was baptized into Christ because that's the picture we get in baptism. It's belief in the resurrection. We die to ourselves. We are buried in a watery grave, and then we are raised to new life in Jesus. The death of yourself, the burial in a watery grave, the resurrection to new life in Jesus. It's saying, I believe that Christ was raised from the grave. And maybe some of you here today need to do that. I need to tell you, in the first service, there was something that wasn't even on my radar. We had a new family that visited here for the very first time today, and, and I, I pointed that out, and I said, I don't care if, if you came prepared to be baptized today or not. We're ready for you to be baptized. And during the invitation, this young lady, 21 years old, a student at Purdue, came forward. We baptized her into Christ. Yeah, praise God. I, uh, you know, I, I had to text Stacy, tell her to bring me a clean pair of socks because mine got soaked. It was awesome. I do that every Sunday if we need to. That's awesome. You, know? you can be made new, and the Bible says if you confess Jesus and you repent of your sins and you're baptized in him, you are raised into new life. And because we are raised to new life, God says we are redeemed by the resurrection. Then we allow Jesus to make us new because here's the deal. It's not... It's not that there's anything magical in the water. It's that you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, right? And you have to allow him to make you new. Some people, they make the decision to be baptized in the Christ and they never change. There's no difference. No life change, no attitude change, no nothing. And I question the authenticity of their decision whenever that happens. I mean, I'm not going to judge a person. That's up to God. Well, let him do that. Not my job. Way above my pay grade to have to judge whether someone is right with the Lord or not. But I also know that the Bible says that there's certain fruit that should be evident after we give our lives to Christ. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And Paul is saying when we put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus, you become a new creation. Stop living like you used to live. You don't live there anymore. When we look at creation, the very first creation that took place was in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, God created us without sin. And Adam and Eve, we know, re existed in a perfect relationship with him. And the Bible says that sin entered into the world and everything was broken. Everything was in despair. And we could no longer walk in the garden with God. But then... 
Jesus came. And he went into a garden called Gethsemane. And he prayed so intently and intensely that the Bible says drops of blood poured from his head. And he said, if there's any way possible, in other words, Father, if there's any other way that you can make this happen, please. But not, not my will be done, Lord. Father, your will be done. And so Jesus willingly went to the cross and died for us. An excruciating death. And it was his broken body, it was his shed blood that paid the price to redeem us, to buy us back. All of our old ways of living can be replaced with new ones. See, we don't clean up our act first and then come to Jesus because if we could do that, we'd never come. We can't clean ourselves up enough to come to Jesus. He says, you come to me, let me worry about the cleaning up process. All right? And so our old ways go by the wayside. He takes our anger, replaces it with love. He takes our selfishness, replaces it with generosity. He takes our addiction and he replaces it with freedom. He heals our brokenness. He binds our wounds. He loves us unconditionally. You might be sitting out there today thinking that sounds great. What do I do? As I told the first service, you need to follow Jesus. You need to make the decision to follow him. We believe that the New Testament example is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, to believe that he died for your sins and that he rose from the dead. And then as we look at the book of Acts, everybody who believed that were baptized into him. Peter stood up on the very first in the very first sermon that was ever preached other than what Jesus preached. And he said, this Jesus that you guys killed, he's speaking to all the Jews in Jerusalem, right, on the day of Pentecost. He's speaking to all of them. He said, this Jesus that you all crucified, he was the, he was the Son of God. And you guys killed the Son of God. And the Bible says when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter, what should we do? And Peter's response was, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible records that 3,000 people made that decision to follow Christ and be baptized that day. I like to tell people it's the very first mega church that ever existed. 3,000 people in the book of Acts. Huh? Now, here we are a couple thousand years later, and I'm going to tell you the same thing that Peter told the crowd gathered that day. This Jesus that you killed. That I killed. He was the Son of God. 
You say, I wasn't there. I didn't do it. Yeah, our sin put him there. It was our sin that killed Jesus. If it wasn't for our sin, he wouldn't have had to die. And this Jesus that you crucified, he was the son of God. And it's my prayer that that cuts your heart. Just like those gathered on that day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And if you're out there today and you say, Ron, what should we do? I'm going to tell you just like Peter said to them. Repent. Whatever's going on in your life that's not right, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My old friend John Penn taught me that the baptistry is a tomb and a womb. It's a tomb where we are buried with Christ. It's a womb where we are born into new life. As in baby in Christ. You may notice that the t-shirts that we wear during our baptism, they say redeemed. This is why. And I'm going to say to you, like I told the first service, maybe you came today and you didn't come prepared to surrender your life to Christ and be baptized. We're ready for you, even if you're not ready. We'll, we'll make sure uh, if that's something you want to decide to do today. Again, uh, Easter's a great time to make that decision. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and, and we're going to sing a song of decision. I think Easter's an incredible time to surrender your life to Christ and be baptized into Him. And if you want to do that today, we encourage you to come during this song. Maybe most of you have already made that decision, I'm sure. But you've, you've had a little bit of trouble getting past your past. I encourage you to come back next week. We're going to talk about that uh, a little more next week. But maybe you just need prayer today. You want somebody to come alongside you and pray with you. We'd love to do that with you. Maybe you're here today. You've already made that decision uh, to surrender your life to Christ and be baptized. But you need a church home. You want to become a part of a family that's doing their best to, to serve Jesus. Maybe that's what you want to do today. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And if you have a need, we encourage you.